Uh, Heavenly Father, we come uh, to the end of this series in Proverbs and we trust uh, that your word is uh, gradually shaping us, uh, taking root in our hearts and bearing fruit to make us uh, the kind of people who can be truly wise or at least more wise. Uh, We pray this day that you would uh, help us to think deeply and and clearly as we look at your word uh, about how we should see ourselves uh, in, in light of who we are, in, in relationship to you and, and this world that you've created. Uh, help us to see ourselves clearly and therefore to be more wise. Uh, please help me to be faithful and clear. Help us all to be attentive to your word and receive these words as if they are the, the very words of God, which they are. Uh, please, Lord, speak to us this day, we pray. Amen. Uh, so I just said we're coming to the end of our series in Proverbs. And as we get to this spot, I'm conscious that some of you might be just a little bit frustrated. Uh, maybe some of you, you don't think deeply enough about it to be frustrated, but uh, some of you might be frustrated because when uh, you, we started this series, uh, you thought Proverbs, it's about wisdom, uh, and you thought, brilliant, right? I'm going to get a whole lot, like last year, I made a whole lot of foolish decisions, uh, and so Aaron's going to give me a, a whole lot of how-tos, right? Some, some specific methods uh, for how I can make wise decisions, Uh, And if that's what you thought, uh, you'll be disappointed. Because you've heard my sermons and and you've discovered that in Proverbs, uh, rather uh, than that Proverbs is a book, rather than uh, giving us a whole lot of how-tos or specific methods for making decisions, it actually says if you want to be a wise person, if you want to make wise decisions, this is the kind of person you have to be. So it's it's, it's low on technique and it's high on character. This is the kind of person you have to be Uh, if you want to be wise. You have to be the kind of person who knows how to manage their anger, who can deal with the temptations of sex and beauty, who uh, has control of their words, who can find and be a true friend. Those are some of the characteristics we've explored. Uh, Those are the characteristics of the wise person. And today we're going to see really the most crucial characteristic. Because over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs, we see that that if you're someone who's convinced that you're wise, uh, you're actually a fool. But if you are deeply aware of just how foolish you are or can be, uh, you're at least on the way to being wise. Uh, For example, Proverbs 16 verse 19 says, uh, Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share in plunder with the proud. Right, the, the verses there on the inside of the Connect card, but right, it's far better to be lowly in spirit, to be poor, to be oppressed, and to be humble than it is to have an abundance of riches. Right, you've got so much plunder, you can share it around. Right, it's far better to be humble. Right, uh, humility is much more precious than all the riches in the world. Right, that's what that verse is saying. So that's what we're exploring today. It's all about how we see ourselves. It's about pride and humility, our, our self-image, if you like, our ego. Uh, in particular, uh, we're going to see, and we're going to be exploring this particularly through the angle of pride. All right, we're going to see what pride is. Uh, we're going to see the effects of pride. Uh, and we're going to see how we can be set free from pride. Uh, so let's look at that first point. What, what is Pride. Well, Proverbs has lots to say about pride, but you could summarise it under the three headings, three main headings. Uh, the first is that pride is the need to feel better than someone else. And we see that in Proverbs 11, verse 12. 
Uh, you see that there. Uh, whoever derides their neighbour has no sense. Uh, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Right? The, the foolish one, the, the person who's got no sense, uh, they're the one who derides their neighbour. What's derides? It means that they speak to their neighbour, they speak about their neighbour uh, with disgust, with contempt, with disdain, if you like. And, and, and you might say, how do they justify that? What gives them the right to, to talk to someone or about someone like that? Oh, well, they're so much better than them. That's what gives them the right. right. They know better than them. They don't have to treat people like that with respect. But this proverb says they are full. It's the one who holds their tongue that has understanding. That's the wise one. Oh, but that's what pride's like. Right? Pride is essentially competitive. That's in the very nature of pride. Right? pride uh, the proud person's always looking for someone uh, to compare themselves to. Because right? they desperately need to be better than someone. And when they find someone that they think they're better than them, they, they look down their nose at them and they say, thank goodness I'm not like them. That's pride. Or thank goodness I'm better than them at least. Uh, there's a, a brilliant few pages in, in Mere Christianity uh, where C.S. Lewis speaks about pride, right? And there's a, a, just a couple of sentences where he talks about this idea that, that pride is about needing to be better than someone else. This is what he says. Uh, pride uh, gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. Uh, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there'd be nothing to be proud of. Right? This is the nature of pride. It, it's essentially competitive. The proud person always has to be better than someone else. Uh, when I worked in uni ministry at La Trobe, I mentioned that earlier, uh, I'd often see that this real uh, competitive nature of pride in, in the, the more ambitious students. And so I'd say to one of these students, why is it that you're volunteering for that charity or, or campaigning for that cause? Or, or why is it that in your summer break, uh, you take that, that extra work experience at the firm or at that company? Right? Why is that? And usually the answer uh, was, it'll look good on my resume. Okay, it wasn't that they necessarily enjoyed doing those things. It was just that they had to, well, they needed to, they wanted uh, to show that they were better than others. They needed a, a point of difference on their resume. Now, of course, on one level, that's fine. Like, I'm not knocking that, right? That there's typically not enough jobs for everyone. It's a competitive workplace. You should have a point of difference on your resume, right? There's some good things about that. But if you take that kind of mindset into your whole life, right? if you do everything you do in life, not because you enjoy it, but because you've got to prove yourself to the world. Right? You've got to build your resume. You've got to show that you are better than the next person. If you take that sort of, sort of mindset into your whole life, it's incredibly exhausting. It's exhausting. It's like a, a never-ending court case where you're constantly gathering evidence. 
to defend, to prove, to justify yourself. That's tiring. Uh, one of the main characters in the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, it's an old movie now, you should see it, but Chariots of Fire is a sprinter named Harold Abrahams. And at one point in the movie, Harold Abrahams says this. He says, I'm 24 and I don't think I've ever known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide, rather the sprinter's lane, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Right? Every time Harold Abraham sprinted, it, it wasn't an opportunity to enjoy running. Right? It was 10 lonely seconds to justify his existence. Right? That, that sprint lane, really, his whole life had become a never-ending court case. Constantly trying to prove himself, to, to defend himself, to, to justify himself, saying, I am somebody because I sprinted well. Until next time. And then next time. And then next time. This is the nature of pride. It's not enough to be equal with others. You have to be better than others. And you have to prove that over and over again. And that's what we're all like. If you're a religious person, in some way you're trying to prove yourself to God. Are trying to show God that, that at least in comparison to those people, uh, you're more moral, you're more committed, you're more theologically sound. After all, you take the Bible seriously. You're more sacrificial in your service. Right, you've proved yourself to God. Well done. Uh, but the truth is you're doing this even if you're not religious, right? You're picking some aspect of your life to be really proud of, right? To, to kind of boast in, right? And you're saying to yourself, like, you might even be humble enough to say, look, I, I, I might not have my whole life together. Like, I'm not doing a great job here or here or here. But look at me here. Look at how, uh, look at how rational or cultured or hipster or community-minded or progressive I am. I'm so much better than those people. You see how pride works. Pride is this insatiable need that all of us have to feel better than at least one other person. Preferably lots. Uh, but Proverbs shows us that, that we're really not satisfied with being superior to other people. Uh, we're going cosmic with it, right? We, we want to be superior to God. Uh, so the second thing Proverbs tells us about pride is that the proud person really needs to take God's place in their own life. Uh, so for example, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25, you see it there. Uh, it says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary uh, stones in place. Right, there's actually quite a few different words for pride or proud uh, in, in Proverbs. Uh, this one has the sense of someone lifting themselves up. Right, this person is exalting themselves. And now, of course, throughout the Bible, who is it that should be exalted or lifted up? Right? It's God. It's God who's the exalted one, the majestic one, the one who deserves to be lifted up. But the pride person does not accept that. Right, they want to lift themselves up. They want to exalt themselves. They don't want to listen to God. 
They don't want to humble themselves before God because they want to write their own story. Right? They want to create their own legacy in the world. They want to choose their own adventure. They want to make a name for themselves, not for God. Their name up in lights. All glory be to them. Uh, there's a Christian author named Lewis Smeads who puts it like this. He says, uh, pride in the religious sense is the arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Uh, in the vivid language of the Bible, pride is puffing yourself up in God's face. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join uh, the dance of life as a creature and wishing instead to be the creator independent, reliant on one's own resources. And never does pride want to pray for strength or ask for grace or plead for mercy or give thanks to God. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies, the cosmic put-on. I've got this, this desperate need to take God's place And it's really that that leads to that sense that we're in a never-ending court case. Asmeet says that this fantasy that we can make it on our own as our own little gods leaves us empty at the centre. And once we decide that we've got to make it on our own, we're attacked by the demons of fear and anxiety. Uh, We suspect that uh, that we lack the power to become what our pride makes us think we are. So what do we do? We learn to swagger and bluff and use symbols to cover up our fears. And we force other people to act as buttresses for our shaky ego that pride created by emptying our soul of God. Right? There's a bit of a long quote there, right? But once we decide that, that we want to rule our own lives, we become deeply insecure. Incredibly insecure. We've got this shaky ego, very fragile. And why is that? Because deep down we know uh, that we're really not qualified to rule our own lives. Right? That, that's God's job. And so we're horribly afraid that one day someone's going to pull back the, the kind of cover and expose us as a fake. And so we start to use every situation, every opportunity, uh, even every person uh, to, to bolster our sense of self, to pump ourselves up just that little bit to, so we can kind of just get that verdict even just for another half an hour, another day, that you're okay. You're somebody because you did X or Y or Z. And that leads to the third thing, which is uh, that the proud person is constantly aware of uh, if not absorbed with themselves. Uh, Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, uh, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Uh, many of us have spoken to it, proud people. Uh, I see myself in this, but the proud person, they, they refuse to take advice. Hopefully I'm getting better. right? But, but, but particularly critical advice. Either the proud person hates even the slightest suggestion that they might not be perfect. Because they're working hard, right, to build up this picture that they've got everything together, right, that they're coping okay, right? Uh, so they, they struggle if you point out anything, if you give any criticism with even uh, seemingly insignificant things. Right, so someone says, look, oh, I just don't think you should change a nappy like that or, or peel a potato or drive a car or... 
or structure your talk, right? Or maybe sing a song or, or talk to your child like that. I, I'm just not sure you should do that. And straight away, the proud person is defensive and frustrated and incredibly angry, right? How dare you suggest that they're not perfect? How dare you? And you might say, yeah, but we're not all like that, right? That's just someone who's really insecure. But I think that's rubbish. Like, to some extent, this is what we're all like. We really are consumed, for the most part, with what other people think of us. We struggle uh, to stop thinking about ourselves, even for the shortest amount of time. And that just shows that there's something horribly wrong with our self-image, our ego. It's broken. But I mean, if I was to, to come out of my office at the end of the day and Gabby said to me, Aaron, how was your day? I, I don't say to her, you know what was great about today? I was sitting there, I was typing away all day and my fingers just worked so wonderfully. Like there's this bent and there's beautiful joints and it was just fantastic. Like I don't say that because I don't I hardly ever think about my fingers because they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Right? The only reason I would think about it, my fingers, the only reason I would mention them in any way is if there was something wrong with them. Maybe they were bruised or fractured or sprained in some way. But of course, as someone who struggles with pride, I'm nearly always thinking about and talking about myself. Why did that person speak to me like that? Didn't they know they'd hurt me? You know, why, did that, that, why was that person so critical of me? Why, why did they kind of snub me or ignore me? Why did they say that about my sermon? Like I thought it was an okay one. You know what I mean? Like we're constantly thinking about ourselves. We're aware of, we're, we're absorbed with ourselves. And that just shows that there's something deeply wrong with our ego. We're constantly aware of and absorbed uh, with ourselves. Right, so, so that's pride. Uh, it's needing to feel better than others. It's needing to take God's place in your own life and it's being constantly aware of, uh, if not absorbed, with yourself. Three aspects of pride. Uh, So what about the effects of pride? Uh, Well, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Proverbs has a a very direct answer to that. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18, very bluntly, uh, says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Right, it's, it's very certain, isn't it? It's not that pride might lead to destruction. It, it will lead to destruction. Right, the, the picture here, it's really like a, you're watching a parade, right? You're sitting there, you're watching, a, oh, look, here, here comes pride. And, and what do you know? Here comes destruction, right? Like, it, it's just certain. Like, it's the next one in line. Now, of course, I, I joke, but it's not that funny, is it? Like, why is pride so destructive? Uh, Well, first, because it leads you to trust in yourself and your own understanding and make a whole lot of foolish decisions. We saw that in Proverbs 13, right? The the person who doesn't take advice. They they won't hear any criticism, so they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. They, They never learn, they never grow. It's foolish. Or Proverbs 21, verse 4, which says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart... Uh, the lamp of the wicked are sin. Uh, there's a bit of debate about how to translate this verse. I've included the, the ESV version because I think it's the best, but hey, people a lot smarter than me can't agree, so 
But I think this is the picture, right? It's saying uh, that uh, pride, or let me say, put it this way. Uh, at night time, you can only see with a lamp, right? Especially in this culture, not a lot of other lights going on. So you really needed a lamp to see at night time. Uh, and if the lamp was yellow, everything appeared yellow, right? If it was red, everything's red. If it's green, everything's green. And so this problem is saying that that's a bit like pride. For the proud person, their pride distorts and and kind of colours everything they see. So you just can't make a wise decision because you're constantly living in a distorted reality, right? You're looking at the world through one of those funhouse mirrors. Everything's all over the place and you're thinking, I know what I'm doing, I'm making wise decisions. Well, you're not. You can't see yourself clearly, you can't see the world clearly. Because pride has distorted your reality. And that's why Proverbs 28 verse 26 says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. But in your pride, you've got this distorted view of God, yourself, of this world. So it's just foolish to trust in yourself. If you do that, if you do that you're bound for destruction. But if you're wise, you'll trust not in your understanding, but in God's understanding, in his wisdom, and he'll keep you safe. So on that level, pride is destructive because it leads us to trust in ourselves and make foolish decisions. But it's a whole lot more than that. For example, in Proverbs 15, verse 25, we read this proverb earlier. It says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud... Uh, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Right, so, so the proud person, uh, they're the person uh, who lifts themselves up. Right? They really want themselves to be at the centre of the universe. They want to be God. Right? Everything really should revolve around them and what they want, not others and certainly not God. So this proverb says that in the end, God will tear that person down. God will show them, he'll make it clear to them once and for all that he is the majestic one, the superior one, the exalted one. Right? It's he who is the centre of the universe. The widow is different to that, isn't it? Isn't she? In this culture in particular, the widow was vulnerable, she was weak, she was poor. She was pushed to the margins, not in the centre, right? It was clear to her that she was on the margins. And this proverb says that God sees the widow in all her humility and he protects and supports and honours her. And that's how God works throughout the Bible. God honours the widow, the orphan, uh, the woman who who can't have children, the son who is not the firstborn, the the sister who isn't good-looking. But he honours those who are poor and weak and oppressed and vulnerable, those who know they've got nothing to offer. But why is that? Why does God care so much about humility? Well, it actually goes right to the heart of who God is. Uh, in Christianity, we, we worship the Christian God, right? the God revealed in the Bible, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we, and, and we believe that the Father, Son and Spirit have been living in community uh, for eternity, long before the world was created. And there are a few places in the Bible uh, where we get a glimpse of how the Trinity relate to one another. Just a glimpse. Uh, for example, in uh, John chapter 16, uh, verses 13 and 14. You can flick to it, flick to it if you like. 
we're moving relatively quickly, but John 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John at the start of the New Testament. John 16, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Jesus says, uh, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And notice this bit, this bit he will glorify me. Because it's from me that he will receive, he will receive what he will make known to you. Right, notice that, right? Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. Right, the, the Spirit wants to put the spotlight on Jesus. The Spirit-filled church is the one that makes much of Jesus, where the spotlight is on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That, that, that's what the Spirit wants. He puts the spotlight on God the Son. He glorifies the Son. And then in John 17, if you flick over, John 17, verse 1, uh, Jesus prays to his Father and he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Right? Jesus asks his Father to, to glorify him, to put the spotlight on him, but he only does that so he can bring glory to his Father. Right, so here, this is God, like right at the heart of our universe. And it's this incredibly humble community, a selfless community. You see, Father, Son and Spirit all wanting to give glory rather than get glory. And if the universe was a stage, Father, Son and Spirit would want the spotlight on each other. They'd want us to see just how great and glorious and wonderful the other is. I hope you can see how that clashes with the proud person. Right, the proud person who always wants to get glory rather than give glory. They want the spotlight on them, right? They want everyone to see just how great and glorious and wonderful they are. Even if they're really insecure, they're low on self-esteem, the underlying thing is people just don't see how great I am. It's still pride. So they're hopelessly out of step. They're they're out of tune with the God at the centre of the universe. And that's why pride is so destructive. The the, the proud person is literally on a collision course with God. And one day, on what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, God will make it known that he is the star of the show. Not you or me. And you might think that's a bit arrogant. Right? Like, why should God judge you for, for just wanting a little piece of the limelight? Right? Well, this isn't a complete answer, but, but let me just tell you that, that my, my sister-in-law is getting married at the end of March. Right? And that is her day. Right? The, the whole day, uh, it's right that it revolves around her and what she wants. So let's imagine that I turn up for that day and I start acting as if the whole day revolves around me. I turn up and I just make it known uh, that the food isn't right, that the drinks aren't great, the decorations, the ceremony, the music, it it just doesn't cut the mustard, right? If that happened, let me tell you, I'd be on a collision course with my sister-in-law's judgment and anger. It'd be destructive, right? Very destructive, right? Because it's her day and the spotlight should be rightly on her. She created the day. 
Right? Magnify that uh, to a cosmic scale. Because one day there'll be a day that belongs not to my sister-in-law but to God. The creator, the saviour, the judge of this world. And on that day, what is true now will be revealed to everyone. Everyone will know that God should get all the glory, that the spotlight should be on him, and anyone who thinks otherwise is on a collision course with his judgment. That's why pride is so destructive. So what do we do? Right? How can we be you're all like, yeah, when we set free from pride, like pictures looking gloomy. Well, let's uh, look at Proverbs 15, verse 33. Uh, It says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honour. So so throughout Proverbs, we've seen that the wise person uh, is the one who fears the Lord, right? It's right there in the intro. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So the wise person uh, sees God as he really is, the centre of the universe, right? The one through whom and for whom everything was made. That, that's the wise person. And because they see God clearly, uh, that they also see themselves clearly. They see that in comparison to God, uh, they are foolish, They're willing to acknowledge that. They're willing uh, to humbly be instructed by God, by his wisdom. And what does this proverb say? It says uh, that if you display that kind of humility before God, one day he will honour you. Honour. That word honour is the same word that that speaks about the glory of God. It's weightiness, significance, importance, approval. So if you display this kind of humility before God, uh, one day you'll get that sense of importance and significance and approval that you've always been striving for. So how do we become more humble? Like if your ego, if my ego were were like balloons, uh, how do you get it uh, not to be overinflated or underinflated? It's one of the great struggles of our age, isn't it? Not overinflated, not underinflated. How do you, uh, at one and the same time, be deeply humble and deeply secure? Most, most people only get one of those right, right? Well, as Proverbs says, it's by, by instructing yourself with God's wisdom. You've got to allow God's wisdom to instruct you. Right, and we saw in our first talk, where do we see God's wisdom? Ultimately, it's in the cross. The, the, the kind of apparent foolishness of the cross but it's actually God's wisdom. Right? So how does this work? Right? If you really understand God's wisdom at the cross, uh, you will never be proud, right? at least not, not for very long. Like, like, I mean, really, like, who do you think you are? You're sitting at the foot of the cross, uh, the eternal Son of God in all his glory. Like he's been crucified for your sins. There was no other way. He had to be crucified. He had to die for you. You can't look at God's wisdom at the cross for very long and stay proud. You're just not that good. You're so sinful that Jesus had to die for you. Right now, if you meditate on that, if you kind of instruct yourself with that truth, over time you'll, you'll be deeply humble. You won't think too much of yourself. On the other hand, if you understand the cross, uh, you, you won't be that insecure over time. Right? Because you know that, that even though you are a foolish sinner, Christ was willing to die for you. That's incredible love. 
So if you're a Christian, right, if if you're living in light of of God's wisdom, if you're instructing yourself with God's wisdom at the cross, uh, you'll be deeply humble because you know just how horrible your sin is. But you'll also be deeply secure because you know how great Christ's love is. Of course, uh, many of you believe all that. You can tick those boxes. Yes, I believe that. And yet every day, perhaps you're a bit like me, you get sucked into that court case mentality. I felt this other day in a room with a group of church planners uh, and, uh, you know, because of a bit, bit of a badge, of, a badge of honour to get invited there in the first place, I was already feeling pretty good. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, but everyone kind of, you know, not directly, like no one directly says, and how big's your church and how big's your church? But, but, you know, throughout the course of the day, it just becomes apparent that there's a bit of a pecking order and this, anyway, you know what I mean? Like you get sucked into the court case mentality and you're like, oh gee, I've, our church has got to grow like another 50 or 100 people if I'm going to prove myself to these guys. Right, so, so how do we get out of that? Well, Paul says something really quite amazing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You should flick over to that. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. How does it go? Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Uh, the, the context here, uh, the, the Corinthians are, are really judging Paul. Uh, they're being uh, very critical of his ministry in lots of different ways. And this is what he says in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You see, this is incredible. Like Paul's become a Christian, he's understanding the gospel, and he says that he's found a way out of the courtroom out of that never-ending court case, right? But because really he doesn't care uh, what the Corinthians think of him, like who cares about their verdict? He, in fact, and some people go, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, all you should care about is what you think, right? it's your verdict that matters. And Paul says, no, 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 I don't even care what my verdict is because I don't really know whose verdict is it that matters. It's the Lord's verdict that matters. It doesn't matter what other people think, it really doesn't matter what you think, it's what the Lord Jesus thinks that matters. And this is important because in our pride, we're, we're always connecting our self-image with our performance. Right? So if we perform well uh, in whatever areas of life are important to you, like church planning, uh, the verdict comes in from God, uh, from others, from yourself, that you are somebody. Right? You've made it. But if you don't perform well, it's not so good. Right, but, but here Paul's saying uh, that, that when you become a Christian, your ego, your self-esteem is no longer attached to your performance but to Christ's performance. You see how this changes? So you're actually set free. Because no matter what you do, no matter how your day goes or your month goes or your year goes, your, your status before God is secure. Christ, the sinful one, died the death that you deserve so that you can be clothed in his perfection, in his blamelessness, in his purity. So that before God, in God's eyes, the verdict is always, you are right, you are somebody, you're my child, I love you. That's the constant verdict all the time. And it's not connected to you and your performance, it's connected to Christ and his performance. And that is incredibly liberating. You are set free. Uh, Not to use other people to build yourself up, but to love and serve them. 
That's great. You're set free to walk into a room and not be constantly kind of analysing your performance. What do people think of me? What, how does my hair look? Or, you know, my clothes? Like, uh, you're set free from that because you're about other people now. You're about God now. You can actually forget about yourself. And when you're in that place, you're actually able to make wise decisions because your reality is not clouded by your own pride. Uh, so let me pray. Let's finish there. Our gracious Father, we do thank you for the book of Proverbs. Uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that it tells us what we really need to hear, uh, not just a list of how-tos or some techniques for making wise decisions, but uh, it gets to the, our hearts and shows us what kind of people we need to be uh, if we want to live wisely in this world. Oh, we pray particularly this day that you would help us to, to fix our eyes on your wisdom shown to us in the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross uh, and to instruct ourselves with that wisdom uh, moment by moment every day in such a way that we see ourselves more and more clearly, uh, that we would be deeply humble, uh, knowing who we are realistically, uh, but also, Lord, deeply uh, secure and bold, uh, not because of who we are, but because of your great love for us. Uh, we pray that these truths would uh, go deeper and deeper into our hearts, that we would be set free to forget about ourselves and be consumed by you and your purposes in this world. Uh, for the glory of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.